What a privilege it is to, to be with you. And I guess it was a couple of months ago, six, eight weeks ago, I guess, Jeff, when you, when you called and you asked if, uh, if I would speak on this particular subject, renewing our passion for prayer. <laughs> Does anybody else feel a little bit of guilt about not praying as much as you ought to? <laughs> Boy, he nailed me. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to get up here and, and, and speak to these folks about renewing your passion for prayer. And if there's anybody that needs to renew his passion for prayer, it's me. Because uh, I'm probably not like, uh, unlike many of you, if not most of you, if not all of you, we think, well, man, I need to be, I need to pray more than what I pray. Well, I'm thankful for that challenge. I'm thankful for that challenge because uh, as I've pondered that literally for the last uh, for the last couple of months. You know, one of the great things about uh, being retired and not preaching every Sunday is, you know, when, when you're preaching every Sunday, Sunday's coming, you know, and, and you got to keep moving on. So everything that you had been thinking about for the previous week, now you got to change gears and start thinking about something else. Well, I've had to, I don't know, it's my privilege. I don't know, it may not be your privilege because I've been thinking about this thing for two months. So I got a big truckload to unload to you here, here this evening. And uh, it, it's just been that's been a pleasure for me to just ponder this. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll get started here with the sermon, okay? Here, here's the thought that came to my mind. Renewing, where does renewing our passion for prayer begin? Where does renewing our passion for prayer begin? And in my life, what I believe like God's been speaking to me is this. Daryl, renewing your passion for prayer is all about renewing your passion for God. Renewing your passion for prayer is all about renewing your passion for God. Luke, in just a few minutes, we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, the first 13 verses, primarily verses 5 through 13. But Luke records for us many times, as some of the other gospel writers do, all the gospel writers do, as a matter of fact, they, they record certain incidences in times when Jesus prays. And what, what's interesting to me, if you go through the, 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 the gospel of Luke primarily, since that's where we are tonight in, in Luke's gospel, when you go through these, these verses that makes reference, just kind of in passing, we, we see that Jesus's prayer life is not presented to us as this highly regimented, scheduled prayer life. What it is, it's, it's, it's more spontaneous. It, it's, it's a time in which uh, he's been healing people all day. No doubt he's felt the pressure. No doubt he's worn out. And, and Jesus gets away by himself and he goes off to pray. It's a time in which it's a key event in his life. It's a time when he was baptized and, and Luke records that he was praying at that time. It's a time in which... Uh, he had fed the uh, thousands of people and people are pressing on it. And it says that he went off to the mountain alone to pray. And then he's going to choose his disciples. He's got a big decision that he's going to face. And yet he wants to spend time with the heavenly father before he makes these choices. Because he must really believe that the heavenly father is engaged in the decision making process of this 
human being, fully God, fully, fully human. Jesus is engaged in this decision-making process, and so he wants to just get away and spend some intimate time with the Heavenly Father. And so what I see so clearly presented to me as I read through the Gospel of Luke and these other Gospels is that it's not a matter of duty, it's a matter of devotion, a matter of devotion. And, and, and it's presented in a way that Jesus highly values intimate, quiet, get alone with God time. Not to say that it's most important that we are engaged in corporate prayer time, but we also must get away in this private, intimate ter- uh, prayer time. In, in Luke chapter 11, if, if you turn there, either in your written word or maybe you've got a handheld device or whatever it is, but we look at the, the first few verses and the context, quickly he sets the context for us in, in Luke 11 verse 1. It says, it came about that while, what? He was praying. While Jesus was praying in a certain place. After he'd finished, one of his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. And so we have the Lord's Prayer, and, and, and that presents for us a great model for praying. But tonight, I'm not going to speak to you about how to pray. You know, one thing that I discovered was when you're in love with somebody, you don't need a lesson on how to talk to them. You know, I, I fell in love with a, with, a, with a lady about 48 years ago, and uh, I've been married to her for 47 and a half years, and nobody had to teach me how to talk to her. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to going home and seeing that gal. You know, I left her, I left her on, uh, on Friday morning and uh, came here, and I've been gone, you know, just a couple of days, but I'm looking forward to going back. Matter of fact, I'll call her when this evening, you know. Nobody had to teach me how to speak to Susan. It came naturally in my love relationship with her. And, and so I think where Jesus goes, what God's been speaking to me about this, this renewing our passion for prayer, it comes from renewing our passion with God what, what I see Jesus doing is he doesn't stop teaching us about prayer life at the end of the Lord's Prayer. He goes into a little story here in verse 5. And as we, as we look at this particular story tonight, what I want us to, to look at in this passage, my objective is for us to get a glimpse of the heart of God, the one to whom we pray. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is helping us to see it's not only that you have a model prayer so you know sort of the basis to cover and the way to approach the God, but, it, but he's saying, I, I want you to know who it is that we're praying to because that's going to make all the difference in the world about your love relationship with him. And so the question that I put to the text as I read through it here in just a moment, the question I put to the text tonight is what insights does Jesus give to us about the one to whom we pray that will not only draw us to him, but will keep us coming back to him? Not out of a sense of guilt and not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of our love and devotion for him. So let's look at verses five through 13. 
So Jesus goes on and continues to say to them, after they ask us, teach us how to pray, he says, suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, note this, from inside, uh, the answer, his friend is going to answer and say, don't bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he'll not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his persistence in different words there, in different translations, because of his shamelessness, because of his persistence, He'll get up and give him just as much as he needs. I say to you, keep on asking, it'll be given to you. Keep on seeking and you shall find. Keep on knocking and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now, suppose that one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He'll not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Lots of phrases can, can jump out at you, but the phrase that jumped out at me as I was studying this passage is that little phrase, how much more? How much more? How much more God is than a friend? How much more God is or even how much better God is than our earthly fathers are? I thank God that I had a, a good earthly father. I thank God that uh, he was a, a great role model for me. And as good as my father was to me, my heavenly father is even better. My heavenly father is wiser even than my earthly father was. And my, my, well, we'll look at that in just a few minutes. And so let's look first of all, not only is our heavenly father more approachable than a friend is, our heavenly father is much more approachable. <laughs> As I read this story, the, the first thing that kind of jumps out at me Suppose one of you's got a friend and you go to him when? <laughs> midnight. Well, now, what, would, what would you think if I came to your door tonight at midnight and started beating on your door? Well, I don't think you'd be too pleased. I, I've got one of these ring doorbells, you know, and, and, and it, it will notify me when there's motion at my front door. And sometimes that thing goes off at midnight. Sometimes it goes off at two o'clock. We've got deer around us and animals, a, a raccoon or something to go by. And, you know, I, I'm not real happy about being awakened at midnight. I'm not real happy about being awakened at three o'clock in the morning because of a deer or a raccoon. But I even wouldn't be too happy if my neighbor came knocking at my door. And so what I find out real quickly in this, in this, that is obvious to me that it is not the will of the neighbor who's being disturbed in his home. It's not his will that he had been approached at midnight by his neighbor who would not quit knocking at the door. 
So it's obvious that the will of the neighbor, the, 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 the neighbor friend, for his friend is that he would go away and not bother him. There's a couple of things that he's concerned about here. First of all, the timing is not right. It's midnight. I've closed the door and my kids are asleep. Go away. Don't bother me right now. The second thing that's an obstacle to his approaching the neighbor is the door has been closed. On the other hand, the Bible teaches us that it is God's will for us to approach him at any time. I love, I love the book of Hebrews. It so makes practical for us the ministry of Jesus and the practical implications, the, 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 the practical impact that it makes upon our life, and particularly in this context, in prayer. Listen, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 14. Since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may find and receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. When is your time of need? Is it when you lie down at night and you start worrying about uh, something that's happened? I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, kind of the distractions during the day and everything gets quiet and you lay down and all of a sudden, oh man, what about these needs? You know, maybe that's that family member that you love that doesn't love Jesus the way you want that person to, to love Jesus. Maybe, maybe it's, it's a strained relationship. Maybe it's another need that you have, but they come up. These needs that we have don't just fit a nice little convenient time schedule, do they? And what, what he's saying is it's, it's clearly God's will that whenever that time of need comes into your life, that's the time that God wants you to come to him. The next passage that we see is the access that we have to him. We go over into chapter 10 and we look at verse 19. And he says, since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Matthew records for us that when Jesus was on the cross, one of the last things that he said before he breathed his last was it talked about, Matthew records how the, how the veil of the temple was torn in two. He's talking about the veil. It, it was like a door. It, it, was, it was a veil. It was this uh, tapestry. It was this cloth that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And only once a year, the high priest could go there. It was a restricted area. Only a certain one could go through there on the day of atonement in behalf of all the people. And so the common person like you and I, we would not be able to go into the very presence of God. That's what they identified as the Holy of Holies. And so there was this, there was this veil here, this separation that kept sinful man away from a holy God. 
But Jesus' death upon the cross at the time that he breathed his last, the, the time that he had taken the full wrath of God upon himself, the penalty for one's sin, that, that, that veil was torn in two. In other words, in this illustration, the door is not just open for us to come to him, but the door has been knocked down. You and I have, have a, a complete access to this holy God. And so that says something to me about this is the will of God. If God's gone to that extent, Daryl, if God's gone to that extent to help you understand, Daryl, that whatever that time of need is, whether it's at midnight or whether it's at two o'clock in the afternoon or any time during the day, it is my will that you come to me and I've given to you nothing less than direct access because not who you are, but because of what Jesus has done for you. That's, that's all based upon the completed work of Jesus upon the cross. And that says something to me. This is God's will. So what I read about this is, as I, as I study this story, there's a huge difference between this friend who says, man, I don't want you here. You, you get out of here. And Jesus is telling us, God's so much different than that. He's so much more than that. He is approachable. Not only does he speak to us about his approach. See, it's, it, it's so clearly God's will for us to approach him. He is willing. But uh, I, I see that he's more than willing for us to approach him. Secondly, what I see is he's more than willing for us to approach him. He is wanting us to approach him. You see, he wants us to come to him. He wants you to come to him. I go over just three chapters later into Luke chapter 14, and there's a story there about a man that's, uh, that's given, a, given, given a big dinner, and uh, everything is ready. And, and the idea here is what God has done for us because of, 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 of the work of Jesus upon the cross, the, 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 the plan of redemption is complete. Everything is ready now. Everything is ready. And, and we can enter into a relationship with the king. We can come into the presence of the king and it's like a big party. It's like a big dinner. And, and what we see here is, is he says, everything is ready now. And so I'm going to send my messengers out to extend invitations to people to come. And constantly the, 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 the messenger goes out and invites people and they have all kinds of excuses. Perhaps you're familiar with this story. You know, I've, I've done this, I've got this, I bought, I bought some, some, uh, some oxen, I gotta go check them out, I bought some land, I wanna go see what that's like. And you know, it comes up with all, all kinds of, one of them was, I, I've married a wife and I can't come now, I don't, I'm not gonna go there. But, uh, you come up with all kinds of excuses. And so he says, well, let's stop here. Let's go find some other people. And the next thing you know, he says, go out there in the highways and the hedges and find any of them who come. What I read in that is, is it's God's will. Not only is it God's will that they come, but God is extending an invitation for people to come. And that says something to me about he's wanting you to come. God's extending you an invitation this evening to come to him. This morning, your pastor, as Jeff was preaching, he extended an invitation for you to come. For those who do not know him, you come to him. God wants you to come to him. He doesn't want you to stay away. He doesn't want you to hold 
those problems to yourself. He doesn't want you to keep those uh, cares and, and those needs to yourself. He wants you to come to him. But not only is he uh, willing, not only is he wanting, but here's the one that really gets me. He's waiting. He's waiting. You go over to John chapter, you go over to the uh, Luke chapter 15, and you're most of you probably not, if not all of you, are familiar with the parable of the of the prodigal son. But I don't want to so much focus upon the son. We know what it means to be a prodigal. <laughs> We're all prodigals, aren't we? Huh? We've all been there. We've all done that. We know what it's like to want our own way and go do our own thing and run from God. And then we start realizing that ain't so good after all, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and so he makes a decision to come back. But all of a sudden, the focus falls upon who? The father. And what's the father doing? He saw the son coming from afar off. Now, I don't know how you read into that, but I say he's been waiting for him. He's been looking for him. He couldn't wait for that son to come back home. And when he saw that son coming, you know what he did? The Bible says that he ran out there to meet him. He felt compassion in his heart for this guy that made a mess of his life. And he still felt compassion for him. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And he kissed him. Now, I don't know what that says to you, but that says, boy, Daryl, renewing my passion, (laughs) renewing my passion for prayer is renewing my passion for this God who's waiting for you. You know, for two months, (laughs) Jeff, since you asked me this, you know, I wake up in the morning have y'all ever, you ever, you wake up in the morning, you're like, okay, am I going to go do my, am I going to have some time, quiet time, or am I too busy? Okay. I got all this, got this list to do, you know, I got to do this. And, and here's what's been in my, I mean, even us retired guys, we can, we can play that game too, right? Anybody else? <laughs> anyway, here's, here's the thought that comes to my mind. There are God's waiting on you. God, Daryl loves you so much. He's waiting on you. And I don't know what that does to you, but that just kind of warms my heart to think that God would be waiting on Daryl Krim to come and have some fellowship with him and to spend some time with him. So God is, God is willing, God is wanting, and God is waiting. But it doesn't stop there. You see, it's easy to become a prodigal in our prayer life, isn't it? And we may not be guilty of some of the more common sins that we think about as sin. But what about the sin, Daryl, of the sin of prayerlessness in my life? What about uh, keeping the Lord waiting? How long has the Lord been waiting for you, Daryl, to come and spend some time with him? But not only is our God much more approachable, he's much more generous. He's much more than generous. He's much more than a God who will give us more than what we ask for. That's an important statement. He's more than a God who will give you more than what you ask for. Because I think there's some folks that even would would kind of preach 
in a prosperity gospel kind of way. We've got this God who's so resourceful. You pray big things and you just expect God to give you more than what you pray for. And they're thinking in many times quantitative, materialistic ways. Well, what I see going on here is Jesus is not just talking about material things. He's not just talking in a quantitative sense. He's talking more in a qualitative sense. Yes, he is generous. And yes, he's resourceful. But God is more than that. This passage of scripture tells us that he is good. He is a good God. Yes, he is generous. But he is not going to give you what you think you need when he as your father knows ultimately that's not what you need. He's good not to give us things that will hurt us. He's good enough to know that if we ask for a fish, he's not going to give to us a snake. He's not going to give something to us that's going to bite us in the, in, in the future. He's not going to give to something that's, that's going to poison us. If we're asking for an egg, he's not going to give to us something that is like a scorpion that, that's going to sting us later on. And he is a wise God. He knows, he knows those things that, 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 can, that can hurt us ultimately. You see, God is a good God. But not only is he a good God, he's a gracious God. You see, he's, he's, he's more than generous. He's good. And he's gracious. There's, there's a turning point in this story. It, it says that uh, the guy in the house tells his friend that comes to him at midnight, said, go away, go away, don't bother me. My, my kids are asleep, the door's closed, don't bother me, leave. But what's the turning point? Because of his what? Persistence. Because of his persistence, he'll give him as much as he needs. That's an interesting word, persistence. It's an interesting concept, persistence. I, I, I like the, the literal translation in the New American Standard says shamelessness. Well, how, how, what's the connection between gracious, a gracious God and a shameless person that's coming to him? You see, it's obvious that, that this man is shameless. <laughs> it's midnight. It's a disturbing hour. And there he stands knocking at the door. But here's the reason for his shamelessness. I believe that there's something motivating his shamelessness, and that is the realization that he has absolutely nothing to offer his friend that's come to him. He is in a desperate situation. He's realizing that there are no other options. He's humbled. And he's coming to his neighbor because he's got nowhere else to go. I'll never forget, 52 years ago, I was a junior in college. I had gone to the University of Georgia for all the wrong reasons. They even had a good football team back then, okay? And I used to listen to them and We'd love to listen to, to Georgia play. And, and it was also known as a party school. And uh, 
I kind of led two lives back in those days. I led a life among my parents and they were Christian people and godly people. And so I, I kind of led a life for them. But when I got away from them, I led another life and there was a conflict in my life. Okay. I was conflicted. And, and, uh, I went to Jordan. I thought, well, I'll get away from all of that. (laughs) I'll go be by myself and leave my parents. You know, they'll never know what I'm doing. And the only problem was God knew what I was doing. And, uh, I had gone to, I had gone to a party that night, a fraternity party and gone around to different fraternities during a rush time. And, uh, so I kind of was exposed to what, uh, party life was like on a university campus with the drinking and all the stuff that was going on. And I was walking back to my dorm and it, it was about midnight, by the way, <laughs> it was probably midnight, maybe a little after and I was walking up Baxter street to Russell hall, my dormitory. And all of a sudden I was overwhelmed by a sense of emptiness I was overwhelmed by a sense of loneliness. You know, see, I, 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 I didn't want to turn to God because I thought my way would be better. And, and, and I don't want to go the route of giving my life over to the Lord. I wanted to do it my way. And yet God taught me, God spoke to me that night. And I came shamelessly before God and I said, Lord, and it was just a simple little prayer. It was, Lord, Help me. Help me. That was the need that I had. I I, I was empty. There was a void in my life. No meaning, no purpose. And I just said, help me. It was a shameless prayer. But what was it that was driving me? It was my desperate situation. And, And when people find themselves in a desperate situation, and I don't know where you are, I don't know if there's a problem in your life. I don't know if it is your life. And, 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 and you're in a state of, of, of desperation. You, you've tried this. You've tried that. You've tried other things. And it's a dead-end street and, and, and all the things. And, and finally you come shamelessly, shamelessly before God. And you say, God, fill my life. And what do we find out later on at the end? How much more God's going to give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea as a a 20-year-old what it would be like to know what it was like to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit just just dwelling in your life and giving you the meaning and the purpose that goes along with that. And so what what I see here, yes, God is good. Yes, God is gracious. And what we find out is God's grace is poured out upon those who will shamelessly, humbly come before him. James put it puts it this way. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Yes, God, God is, uh, he's much more than generous. He's good and he's gracious, but he's also wise. He's also wise. You know, the other, the other way you can translate this is because of his persistence. He just kept at it. There is value in our going back to God a second and a third and more times than just one. There's value in that. There's value in that. Through Jesus' persistence, 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, we could also call it the School of Gethsemane, what we find out is that Jesus relinquishes his desire for the cup of suffering to be removed from him. Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me. He goes back and he prays again and he prays again. And he finally comes to the point of relinquishing his desire for the cup of suffering to be removed. And that made him more than a conqueror. Then before I, before I give you the, the summary statement on that, one other person's life, and that's Paul's life. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we find out that Paul dealt with a need in his life, and that need was he, he was plagued by what he refers to as a thorn in the flesh. And he, and he goes on in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, down around verse 7, he says, To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart. In other words, God, I've got this problem in my life. Just, just get it out of there. Boy, you would say, boy, that guy's a conqueror. He knows how to pray. He knows how to get this out of his life. You know, and, and, and you, you think of Jesus with, with the, the cup of suffering and you think, wow, my goodness, I don't want to suffer with this sickness. I don't want to suffer from, from this uh, uh, loneliness. I don't want to, whatever the case might be, I don't want to suffer from this, 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 this painful thing that I'm dealing with in life. So God, just, just remove it. And how, how oftentimes do we pray, God, we find out that this person's sick and so God, we just, God, heal them, heal them. Take that away, and then we think, wow, wow, what, what, a, what a conqueror this person is, that they can pray like this. And, you know, that's, that's kind of my, when I hear somebody sick, I, that's, that's my first prayer. God heal them, you know. But, but think about this for just a minute. God didn't remove that cup of suffering from Jesus. And because Jesus went through that cup of suffering where the wrath of God was poured upon him and he drank that cup and God did not remove that from him. We benefit from that. We're blessed from that. God is glorified from that. And, and think, of, think of the apostle Paul's life. God did not remove that thorn in his flesh. And the very thorn that was in his flesh, it, it made him realize that where I'm weak, there's not where I'm strong. I've had this over the past year and a half. I've had this so vividly portrayed before me. My pastor is Troy Keaton and his wife is Janelle. A year ago, this past October, Janelle discovered that she had metastatic breast cancer. Metastatic breast cancer is not a pleasant experience to go through. There's a lot of suffering. She's, she suffers a lot from that. The treatments, it's uh, metastasized into her back. It's metastasized into her pelvis. It's metastasized into different bones in her body. And that's painful. And, and the, 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 the first prayer, of course, is God, take this healer. 
But over the year and a half, Janelle, Janelle has come to realize that sometimes in the darkest hour of our life, sometimes facing the most difficult trials we can ever face, those are the times when the light of God's glory can be seen the brightest. And I can't tell you the impact that this lady, Janelle Keaton, has had upon so many people's lives, and Troy as well, as no doubt the husband or the spouse goes through the trial with them. But God has not taken it away. But God has been with them as they pass through that. And God has made them more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. He says, he says in, in, Romans, in Romans 8, he said that uh, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather he who is raised, and he's at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When God takes that thorn in your flesh, when God takes that cup of suffering and and. He doesn't remove it from your life, but he gives you the strength and the grace and the presence of of, of his glory in your life as you go through that. That makes you more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And so, how do you feel? How will you respond to that need or those needs? that you face in your life? Are you ashamed to go to God again or at all? Do you feel like I should be able to handle this? The God I want you to see tonight is the God who's willing, the God who is wanting, and the God who is waiting. And he's waiting for you to come to him for you to find his grace, for you to discover his goodness, and for you to experience his wisdom in your life. I want us to bow together and I want us to pray. And I'm gonna ask that we just have a little music played for us as as you're doing that. But I don't know where you are in your life, but I do know this, that probably just about every one of us in here has some need in our life, whether it's a personal need or whether it's the need of somebody that you love and you care for. And as as that person or as that thing, as that problem, as that issue comes before you, I want you to know that God is willing for you to come to him right now. God has given you direct access to him. I want you to imagine yourself right now in nothing less than his throne room. I want you to envision your life right now, right before the throne of grace and mercy. I want you to see the God who loves you more than you can imagine.
I want you to take just a moment. I just want you to just be honest with God and say, God, I can't fix this. God, I'm I'm in, in a desperate situation without you. I can do nothing. And so, God, I'm just coming shamelessly before you and presenting this person, this thing, this cup, this thorn. I'm presenting it to you tonight. God, tonight I just want to offer myself to you. I want to ask you for the greatest gift of all, and that's your Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, Heavenly Father, to fill my life right now. God, I want to thank you that you that you tell us in your word how much more will you give your Holy Spirit to those who ask. Will you ask the Lord tonight to fill you with his Holy Spirit? And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.